How many of you know that we memorialize our heroes? That often uh, people that are heroes in our life, we, we kind of want to pull out the things about them we like, and that's what we really remember, and we don't often remember the totality of their story. Um, of who they are. Um, you, you maybe even have been to funerals like this where the pastor was talking and you're like, who is he talking about? <laughs> Come on, anybody? I, I committed to never do that. Um, I don't do that many funerals these days, but when I do, I'm like, I'll just make it all about Jesus. If I don't know anything about the person, I'm just like, Jesus is good. He's awesome. You need to know him. He's coming again. Um, but you, you've seen that, like, <laughs> they'll be talking at a funeral and you're like, that is not my uncle. I knew that guy. <laughs> But it just happens, right? It happens. You memorialize your heroes. And, and I think we do that with Jesus. Like we take out the parts of Jesus that make us comfortable, not the parts that make us uncomfortable. And that's the parts we really want to talk about, right? Um, so so we, we like the coffee mug of for God so loved the world. You know, like John three sixteen, hold it up in the end zone. We're all about that. Um, I think we want, we want the, the cute quote Jesus, you know, or we want the little baby five ounce, six pound, you know, baby Jesus that we can hold, like he comes out at eat Christmas, and we like that. We like that Jesus, but um, I just want to propose to you that, that that isn't all there is of Jesus. Like, there's also the riot starting Jesus. I don't know if you know about that Jesus. Like, the one who started a riot, and then before they could kill him, he slipped through the crowd and escaped, and nobody knew where he was, and he still had, the riot was still going on in town. That's the Jesus of the Bible, too. Or the Jesus that whenever they were, uh, money changers were in the temple. Now, let me give you a timeout and just give you context. Money changers were supposed to be in the temple, all right? So if you ever hear somebody go, ah, Jesus kicked the money changers out, and that's why there shouldn't be any money involved in church. No, they were supposed to be there. They were a part of work. Worship. They had to have them there because people came from all over town and all of the region to Jerusalem. They had to exchange currency so that they could purchase a lamb so that they could worship through the sacrificial system. The problem Jesus had is that they had moved their tables into a place in the temple they were not supposed to be and they were price gouging them. And Jesus was ticked off because they were taking advantage of people. And so what did he do? He grabbed tables and he started throwing them everywhere and hitting them with a whip like that. That's the Jesus of the Bible. Put that on your mug, right? Like when Jesus talked to the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. You're like your father, the devil. Put that on your t-shirt. You brood of vipers. You're like your father, the devil. We like the John 3.16 Jesus though, right? We like the, but I got plans for you. We like the, uh, the long locks walking through daisies, Jesus, healing people. But Jesus was a radical. Jesus was an affront to the establishment of the day. I mean, you think about it, the whole turning over tables thing. It would be the equivalent of this, that if all of our campuses had ATM machines and some guy just showed up one day and picked them up and started tossing them into the parking lot, somebody would be like, security, security, security. You know, like, get over and, like, it would, are y'all following me? You would like talk him out. Here's what I'm convinced, that most churches wouldn't want Jesus as their pastor. They want the John 3.16 Jesus as their pastor. They want the Jesus that, you know, makes everything go their way, pastor. They don't want the, the radical, scandalous with grace kind of Jesus. The Jesus that would meet a woman at the well and have a conversation with her, already a social faux pas that a rabbi would interact with a woman, but let alone this kind of woman, let alone by himself at a well. 
We don't want that Jesus. We don't want the Jesus that would let anybody in. We don't want the Jesus that, that would look at the woman caught in the act of adultery, which I want to know how the religious men caught her in the act. It's always my question when I read the text. And then brings her before Jesus and is ready to stone her because the religious law would have allowed for that. And Jesus begins to say, you without sin, cast the first stone. And they all drop their stones and walk away. And then he looks at her and says, where are your accusers? And she looks up from her position of shame, says, I don't see them anymore. And Jesus said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He was scandalous in his grace. The whole reason they wanted him dead is because of how he taught and what he did, how he upheavaled the religious system of the day. But we want the nice little Jesus pull-string doll that pull back. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is love. God has great plans for you. God's going to make a way where there is no way. God's going to open doors that you'll never open. God's going to give you your best life. We want, we want the trinket Jesus. We want the, um, y'all don't even know nothing about this. We want the rabbit's foot Jesus. Come on, somebody. Anybody remember a rabbit's foot? <laughs> Google it if you don't know. <clears throat> we, want, we want the Jesus that'll, that'll get us out of a bind. But that's, that's not the whole picture of Jesus. And so in this series, we're going to get a picture of Jesus. I want to paint a full picture, a full representation of who Jesus was. I want, like Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said this to the church in Corinth. And this is what I hope to do in this series. He said, you'll remember, friends, that when I first came to you to let you know of God's master stroke. I love that. This masterpiece that God was painting he said, I didn't try to impress you with polished speeches or the latest philosophy. I deliberately kept it plain and simple. And here's what he said. Here was my message. First, Jesus and who he is. Then Jesus and what he did, Jesus crucified. And that's the whole thesis of this teaching series is Jesus and who he is. And then Jesus and what he did. That's what we're going to look at. Who is he and what did he do? And so the first thing we've got to understand if we're going to know who he is, and that's what we're going to park on today. Today I want to lay the framework for the series, and I hope you'll make it a point to be here each and every week. But I want to lay the groundwork for the series. And if we're going to understand who he is, there is one critical thing that we've got to understand. Matter of fact, it is what all of our faith is built upon. And, and without it, um, this all thing is a farce. We might as well shut it all down. And just try to be the best people we can be and get by until we die and, you know, worms eat us. <laughs> Y'all need to relax a little. <laughs> this, what I want to share with you today is, is critical and it's foundational. And it may not sound like a big deal when I say it, but once I unpack it, I hope that you see the depth and the power of it and how it informs our life and how it matters to everything about our life as followers of Jesus. And I'll just say this too, that if you're here today, one of our locations, you're joining us and our online family, um, is this, is that you have found a place where you can belong before you believe. That you should clap better than that. 
that you're sitting in amongst people that have not figured it all out, but are on pursuit of Jesus, that are in pursuit of his heart and of knowing him and of living his way of living out amongst the people that we interact with. And, but you can belong before you can believe. You can um, still be searching and trying to understand and grappling with things about the person of Jesus um, and still feel at home. And so I just want to say that to you before we get in um, to today's thought. But this is it. If you're a note taker, you need to write this down. If you're not, you should write it down. <laughs> this, this foundational truth is this, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. You may be thinking, well, why does that matter that Jesus is God? Because if he's not God, then everything he said is of no value to us. It may be some good moral thoughts. It may be something to help you live a, bit, a little better life, but it cannot change your eternity. If he's not God, he cannot forgive your sins. If he's not God, he cannot set you free. He cannot do things in your life today. He had some good thoughts that are now ancient truths, but they would not be relevant to today principles to live our life by if he is not God. But he is God. And I want us to look at a couple of verses in the Bible one, that Jesus, where he claims himself to be God. One, where John gives us a picture of what was happening in the beginning. And John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says, In the beginning was the Word. I want you to follow this along with me. In the beginning was the Word. Everybody shout Word. word. And so the Word is a metaphor. It's not saying that in the beginning there was a Bible. Are you with me? Yeah. It's using this as a metaphor. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. So the Word, whoever we're talking about here, was with God. Um, and the Word was what? God. Say it again. God. God. So whoever this person is we're talking about, the Word, he is God. Well, verse 2 tells us, he was with God in the beginning. The Word is a he. And through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. So this he that was with God and that is God was there at the beginning, was a part of creation. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Let's skip down to verse 14. It tells us who this word is. It says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is talking about Jesus. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace, neither do I condemn you, and truth, go and sin no more. Do y'all see that? So John is telling us that Jesus is God. Matthew 26, this is the account of where Jesus is standing trial um, before the religious leaders of the day prior to them crucifying him and the chief priest in verse 59. I've condensed them to get the idea here. It says they were looking for false evidence against Jesus because they really had no reason to put him to death, but they were looking for false evidence so they could put him to death. But they did not find any. So they had no evidence. So what was it that put Jesus on the cross? It's what happened next. Then they said, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. So they flat out asked him, are you the Christ? Now here's what you got to understand. Christ isn't his last name. Some of you are like, really? It's not Jesus. It wasn't Mary and Joseph Christ, and they had Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Christ means Messiah or anointed one. 
the one that God sent. So they're asking him, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that Old Testament prophets had prophesied that would come from God, that is the Son of God that came to take away the sins of the world? Are you him? And here's Jesus' response, yes. It is as you say. So not only did John tell us that Jesus is God, but Jesus himself, when point blank asked, are you the Messiah, are you God, he says, yes, it is as you say. Now why is this so important? Why is it important that Jesus is God? Well, it's important because Jesus didn't say, I am um, a God. I'm not a part of plurality of God. I'm not, I'm not a, what technical term would be a polytheism. I'm not, I'm not polytheistic. I'm not a multiplicity of gods. He's God. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Are you following me? And he's God. Now, here's the deal. Most people, though, they, they have a problem with this, and the reason they have a problem with it is because of the exclusivity claims of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14. It's going to get up there. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Some people go, well, I have a problem with Christianity because it's narrow-minded and it's exclusive in its claims. Well, if you really study world religion, every religion is exclusive in its claims. And the reason that I put my faith in Jesus and in Christ, I don't put my faith in Christianity. I put my faith in the person of Jesus. Are you following me? We're not over these next few weeks going to learn a religion. We're going to learn about a person. My faith is in a person, not a system. My faith is in the man who walked on the earth, died on a cross, and resurrected from the dead. This is the reason that I place my faith in Jesus. Because I, you can go to Muhammad's grave today, and he's still there. You can go to any philosopher's grave today, and they're still there. But I've been to Jerusalem. I've walked up in the tomb, and he is not there. It is empty. Just as the angel said to the ladies that day, he is not here. He is risen, just like he said he would. So I'm going to go with the guy that got up from the dead every day of the week. If you say you're God... Then you die and get up out of the dead, I'm going with you. Some people say that Jesus was just simply a good man, and he was good, but I, I will propose to you that he cannot be just good. Some say that he was a wise prophet, and that he was wise, he can't just be a wise prophet. Some say that he was a moral teacher. And I would say he did teach good morals, but he cannot be just a good moral teacher. See, I agree with C.S. Lewis, the famed atheist who began his journey to discredit Christianity and ended up coming to faith in Jesus along his journey. I agree with him who said there are only three conclusions when it comes to the person of Jesus. Either A, he was a liar. See, this is why I say that he cannot just be a good man. Because no good man would know that they were not the son of God, yet lead thousands of people astray knowing they were lying. So he cannot just be a good man. He said either he's a liar. If he's not a liar, then number two, the only other explanation is he is a lunatic. Why is that? Because he was psychosis enough to believe that he really was the son of God, but he was not him. 
That kind of person is not good. That kind of person is not moral. That kind of person is psychotic. Are y'all with me? The only other explanation is that he's Lord. Either he is Lord or he is a lunatic or is a liar. He can't be just a good man, just a moral teacher, just a good prophet. He has to be a good man, a moral teacher, a prophet, and Lord, King of Kings, the Messiah. It is impossible for him to just be one of those things, good, just a prophet, because no good man would lead a thousand people astray, millions of people, knowing they were lying. No moral person would do that to people, give them hope when he knew there was no hope. The only other explanation is that he's Lord. Jesus is God. It's critically important. It's critically important. And if he's God, then he is the only way to heaven. And that is critically important. It's not narrow-minded in my perspective that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's merciful. It means that God didn't lead us, leave us wandering around the earth wondering how to have connection with God. He didn't leave us wondering, do it, is, it, is it in the trees? If I worship the trees, will that do it? Is it in the stars? If I know the stars, will that do it? Is it in my good behavior, will that do it? He didn't leave us ambiguous wondering, how do I have connection with God? He very clearly removed all ambiguity and said, no, it is my son I will send to you. His name is Jesus. Place your faith in him. So I say that it is mercy that caused Jesus to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is God, what does that matter for me? What does that matter for me? What does that mean in my life? In my last few minutes with you, that's what I want to share with you. That he is God. That's the foundational thing we're going to lay, and, and that's going to matter in everything else we talk about, right? Because we're going to look at Jesus as healer, but if he's not God, he can't heal you, so what does it matter? And we're going to look at Jesus as servant. But if he's not God and he serves you, what does it matter? And we're going to look at Jesus as, but if he's not God, what does it matter? So it's important that we understand he's God. And so what does that matter into my life? And so I'm going to give you a few things. You need to write these down. Are you with me? Say amen. amen. All right, y'all, y'all are much better. The earlier service, I thought, man, I thought I came in too heavy, <laughs> too strong out the gate. I was like, they can't handle all this. This must be the spiritually mature audience today. (laughs) Why, Pastor, I was reading in my commentaries this morning this very thing. It just affirms all that I was studying this morning as I was fasting before the Lord. Number one, if Jesus is God, number one, then we, our response is to put him in the proper place. To put him in the proper place. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says this, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So if Jesus is God, then our response is to put him in his proper place. That Jesus isn't an add-on. It's not like, oh, I'm going on a trip. I better throw in my toothbrush and toothpaste 
and my clothes and Jesus. Are you following me? But he's exalted to the highest place. He's, he's worthy of our praise. He is the only thing. The, wor- the, the word worship has in it the idea of worth-ship. He is worth our, all, our praise. He is worth being exalted to first place in our life. I'm concerned that some of us think faith in Jesus is just like adding him on. Like he's an add-on, like he's an app in my phone. Whenever I need it, I'll pull up that app. Oh, I'm going through a hard time. I need my Jesus app. Oh, I need some wisdom for this job. I, I'll pull up my Jesus app. No, no, he is highly exalted. In other words, I don't orient my life around everything else and then fit Jesus in. I orient my life around Jesus and then fit everything else in. He is preeminent. He is exalted to the highest place in my life. He alone is worthy. I put him in the proper place in my life. He's first place in my life. He's not down on my list somewhere. Well, pastor, that sounds like an awful lot of commitment. I would just say that that Jesus went first. I would say nails through your wrist and through your feet. Having your back torn apart with a cat of nine tails as they beat you. Having crown of thorns. I would say that he was so committed to you. Now, I'm not saying, listen to me, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't want to do great things in your life and and bless. I'm just saying that, I'm just saying it this way, that I think sometimes we think Jesus came to the earth to follow us around and do our bidding for it. Hey, Jesus, I need an open door. Hey, Jesus, I need a new job. Hey, Jesus, touch my body. Hey, Jesus, do that. No, no. Jesus came into the earth so that he would die, resurrected, and exalted to the highest place so that we would bow our knee to him, to the glory of God the Father. It's all about him. It's all for him. It's all because of him. We don't come together to lift up our name or my name or our church's name. We come to lift up the name of Jesus. He alone is worthy. See, see, I'm, I'm a little concerned as a pastor, I honestly, I'm, I'm concerned that we're building people and building churches where we think we come together to lift up our name. And, and that Jesus is our good luck charm, that he's our genie in a bottle, that if we rub him, he'll give us some wishes. And we have lost the reality that he is king and he has a kingdom. And in the kingdom of God, the king has final say. I don't get a vote in the kingdom. This isn't a democracy. Jesus is king over my life. My response is simply to bow my knee, to declare his lordship in my life. It is not to live life for me. What can Jesus do for me? I don't even come to church for what Jesus can do for me. We, I'm afraid that we come to church thinking, what can I get out of it? And, and listen to me, I'm not saying that God does, I'm, I'm in the core of who I am as a pastor is an exhorter. I want you to believe God. I want to build your faith. I want you to feel like you can leave out of here and go to hell with a water pistol and take it down. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I want. But above all that, I want us to remember that it's about him. And, and, and if, he, if he never did anything else for me, He's worthy because he's God. If he never did anything for me at all, 
if he never touched my body before, if he never saved me, if he never restored anything in my life, if he never made a way, if he never used me, if I never got to preach a day in my life, he's still worthy of my worship because he's God above all. He's king of all kings. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is a wonderful counselor. He is the prince of peace. He is a mighty God. He is worthy. He's worthy all by himself. He owes me nothing because he's God. He owes you nothing. He's God. See, he says every knee will bow. I'm just wanting to help us see that every knee will bow. I'm just trying to get you to bow it on this side of eternity. Because on that side, it'll be too late. We put him in his rightful place. That he's exalted. How, how would it change decisions you make if you put Jesus at the priority? You know what this means? This means before I make a decision, you know who I consult? Before I consult my wife, my team, I consult Jesus. What do you want me to do here? You're, you're, you're in charge. I'm not. You're the director of the story of my life. You're the producer. You're calling the shots. I'm not calling the shots. What do you want me to do here? Not only do I put him in his rightful place, but number two, since he's God, that means I submit to his authority. I know that's your favorite word, submit. And authority. I put them both in one. If there's anything this generation doesn't like is authority. Or submission. But in the kingdom of God, you submit to the king. Matter of fact, I would propose that life, true life, is found on the other side of submission. That life to the full is found on the other side of submission. Matthew 28, 18 says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven, all authority, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Here's what that basically means. That when you see Jesus, you see God. The fullness of the deity. The fullness of God. Everything of who God is, you see in Jesus. You want to know God? Get to know Jesus. And it says, Who is the head over every power and authority. You know why I love that verse? That, that means that there's no earthly authority, no authority under the earth, no demonic authority, no authority of darkness that has authority over Jesus. And when I submit to Jesus, you know what that means? That means there is a covering over my life because I am under his authority, which protects me and guides me. So the enemy may come and attack me, but I do not walk in fear. I walk in faith. Why? Because I serve Jesus. I don't serve me. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Every power, every authority is under his authority. So I walk in faith with him. So I can submit. But here's the deal. You don't really know if you've submitted to something until it asks you to do something you don't want to do. <laughs> that was the uppercut right there. You didn't even see it coming. 
you were, you were weaving. All of a sudden, I snuck one in. Told you I'll watch UFC on Saturday nights. Gets me ready for Sunday. You don't really know if you're submitted to Jesus until you're willing to obey him when you don't feel like it. You're willing to obey him when it makes you uncomfortable. That's when you know you've submitted to his authority. When he says, go forgive them, but you don't feel like forgiving them. Kind of makes me, sounds kind of like what I remember in the garden before Jesus was crucified when he said, if it be any other way, let this cup pass from me, talking about the crucifixion. However, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus, even in his time on the earth, was submitted to the Father. How much more should we be submitted to Jesus in our time on the earth? But I don't feel like loving them, but not my will, but your will be done. But I don't feel like serving today, not my will, but your will be done. But I don't feel like being generous, not my will, but your will be done. We don't walk around waiting until you feel something. Faith isn't about feeling. Now, I hope you feel something in here. I hope you feel the presence of God. I hope when we were worshiping, you felt, I pray in this, you feel God in this moment. That's all great, but my faith isn't built on my feelings. My faith is built on submission to the person of Jesus. I'm submitted. I'm submitted. You know what that means is that he had my yes before he ever asked. Does Jesus have your yes? Does he have your yes? Or when God speaks to you, is it more of a negotiation? I'll be real honest, you know. If, if I had my will, I'd, I'd planted a church in, I don't know, where there's a beach. <laughs> and it doesn't get below 60. Your boy doesn't do good with cold. I lost all that weight years ago. I've been freezing ever since. <laughs> if churches from Florida or California ask me to preach, the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> Every time. When you need me, Easter, I'll be there. <laughs> you got sunshine, I'll be there. <laughs> but I gave God my yes. I think we've, I think we, I'm, a, I'm concerned we've lost something in this thing of submitting to God. I read stories of like Moravian missionaries who packed their coffins when they went to the mission field. They had no thoughts of coming back. They, they were going to give their life and die there. Why? For the gospel? Because they were submitted. We can't decide if we're going to come to church two Sundays in a row. Number three, <laughs> let that one set. Let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Have your way, Lord. <laughs> you know, if I'm submitted to his authority, then I'm, my perspectives are informed by his word. I, I, want, I, I want my mind to be renewed to think the thoughts of Christ. To think the thoughts of Christ about people. To think the thoughts of Christ about myself. I want my opinions on things to be informed by his opinion, 
Not my opinion. What does he say? People ask me on issues. What do you think about this issue? I'm like, it's irrelevant what I think. What does Jesus think? My opinion's irrelevant. I'm gonna go with his. I'm submitted. Number three, I'm gonna live for his purpose. I'm gonna live for his purpose. If he's God, then I'm gonna live for his purpose. So what is it? Matthew 28 says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's his purpose. John 3, 16, we all know that one, but we often leave off 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We know that one, but we leave this one off. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the mission of Jesus. That's the mission of Jesus. He said, I came to seek and to save those which were lost. If I'm, I'm on mission with Jesus, if, if I'm on, if he's God, I'm submitted to him, then I'm gonna be on mission with him. What does he want from me? What is he doing? What's his purpose in the earth? Well, no, God, I want you to help build my kingdom. No, he said, I put you here to build his kingdom. And that's to seek and to save the lost. That's why we gather. I just wanna remind us today, that's why we have church. That's why the church is here in the earth. Sure, you should grow, and sure, you get community, and sure, you pray for each other, and sure, you find strength from each other. But at the end of the day, the number one mission, and it is urgent, is souls. It's the souls of men and women and boys and girls. That's why we're here. We're not here to play games. We're not here. Jesus didn't come to make you happy. He didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to make us powerful so that we would advance the gospel in the earth. We're here for souls. We're here for people far from God. That's why we exist as a church, is that people far from God would know the love of God. That they would know God, not know about Him, not know religion, but they would know God. And then they would be delivered from all of their yesterdays and find freedom in their life. Why? Because God put you here for a reason, so that you'd make a difference. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Well, we're not here just to see how many people we can gather in buildings and how many television viewers we can have. That's not why we're here. We're here because Jesus died to save sinners like me and like you. He came to set us free. He came to give us purpose. What is the purpose of your life? It is to get in on the mission of Jesus, to seek and to save the lost. And I would propose this, that you will never be fully fulfilled until you discover why God put you on the planet. He's God. He deserves to be exalted to the highest place in our life. Above everything, above our careers, above our hobbies, above, our, above everything. He deserves for us to submit to his authority. He is the only one that is worthy. He deserves, deserves for us to live on his purpose because he's God. But he's not only God, he's good. You know how I know he's good? Paul wrote it this way. In that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. He's good. He's really good. So if he's God, put him in his right place, submit to his authority, live on his purpose. But if you've ever done this, the most important thing is to receive his gift of salvation. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. Not join a church. That's not what this is about. Not have some religious experience. I'm talking about a real relationship where he becomes Lord of your life. And if you've never done that today, I want to give you the opportunity to do that at every location. I'm going to ask that we would bow our heads and close our eyes. With no one looking around, ask you not to move if you can. It's a holy moment. I believe God is speaking to many, many people. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've all come short of God's standard. It's not a condemning statement. It's the reality of humanity. We're all broken. It says that Jesus came to give us forgiveness of sin. And the Apostle Paul wrote it this way, that if we'll confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we will be saved. And today you can have that. You don't have to hope that one day your good will outweigh your bad. You don't have to live without peace. You can have a peace of knowing that you know that you know God. So if that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, I want to know that. In a moment, we're going to pray. If you want to be included in that prayer, in just a second, I'm going to count to three and ask you to shoot your hand up at every campus. Say, Pastor, I want to know that I have peace with God. I want to know Him in the way that you're talking about. And we'll just say that as you slip up your hand, that'll be the believing in your heart that Paul, to be the indication, I believe. And then we'll pray together and do the confessing of our mouth. And according to the word of God, you will be saved. So if that's you on three, no one looking around, you just slip up your hand. One, two, three. You'd say, Pastor, I know that I have peace. God bless you all over the room. You can put them down at every campus. Come on, church, all together, every location. Let's pray this out loud for the benefit of those praying for the first time. Just say, Jesus. I need you. I ask you to forgive me. I believe you died and that God raised you from the dead. I ask you to give me a new beginning as I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with those who made that decision.